Hey, this is Rob and that's Micaiah and you are listening to You Forgot One. Today on You Forgot One, sometimes I sit and think, sometimes I just sit by Courtney Barnett. Micaiah, 2015's Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit, a favorite on nearly every end-of-year list for the top 10 albums of the year, Uh, award-winning album uh, in Australia, nominated all over the world, and sold remarkably well for an indie label album, what do we need to know about Courtney Barnett? Sometimes I sit and think, sometimes I just sit. Right. I mean, this is the debut album. Um, in 2013, she had previously released two EPs and released them together as the double, L, uh, the double EP, A Sea of Split Peas, um, with some really, really great songs. They got people really excited about her. And before she even had her first full-length album, kind of referring to her as this really incredible, you know, voice and, and songwriting talent. And so there, there was a lot of excitement around, you know, the possibilities of this album and wow, wow, wow. Did she deliver right? This, this record came out and people were on board, like, you know, classic songs, classic record, you know, and setting her up as, you know, like this is, someone that we're going to be talking about for as long as she's making music, you know? So it was this very exciting moment and it came out around the time, you know, that like Kendrick's to pimp a butterfly came out and a bunch of other kind of indie records that people were loving and talking about at the time, you know, uh, Wilco released star Wars only a couple months later after this. So, you know, there was a lot of excitement in the air and this one, you know, it, it's very easy, you know, when this, moment where there's so much music coming out all the time but this one stayed with people right people kept listening to it and uh, she toured like crazy and uh, when fred armison hosted snl right she was the musical guest you know so it it stayed around for a really long time and then she released uh, a collaboration with kurt vile and her second record and last year i talked about it on our you know end of the year episode um she had another album come out and all all great all great um but this album in particular i mean i i can't stress how much that i just think that this is a an exceptional work from an exceptional uh new talent and so maybe people are surprised to see especially coming off of zeppelin and Jimi hendrix right a record from 2015 um that is a you know independent record didn't have the impact cultural impact that like blonde or to pimp a butterfly had uh maybe didn't have that wide of a reach um but for the people who were impacted by this record um, it had a tremendous effect it's an album for me that i was not exposed to until the end of the year as end of the year lists were coming together and again it was a debut album from an indie artist in from australia from melbourne australia Um, you know, again, two years later, as you said, you know, I saw her on SNL, the episode that Fred, Fred Armisen hosted and she was really impressive there. But for me, my first exposure to this album, uh, was those end of the year lists. And it was one of those albums that you're exposed to from those end of the year list. 
And a lot of times for me, when, when an album shows up on kind of everyone's end of the year list and I've never heard of it, it's kind of 50, 50, whether it's going to be an album that I'm totally on board with or an album that I'm like, really this, you thought this was a top 10 album. Um, but man, I heard this and you're just going, Oh wow. This is, this is an instant classic. And I, I will go so far as to say, not just is this, this a great album, but one of the things that I, I find really incredible in terms of the sides of an album, this might have the best single side of an album to come out in the last 12 years. Um, the, the side a of this album is flawless. I mean, it is, it is bulletproof and some classic songs on the side a of this album, but we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to Courtney Barnett and we've invited some friends to help us do that. You know them as the Paranoid Style. They are Elizabeth Nelson and Tim Bracey, and they are with us now, friends of the pod. This is their third time being on the podcast to talk with us about Courtney Barnett's Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit. So we're going to take a break and let you hear from our independent record stores of the week, and Elizabeth Nelson's going to share those with you. Then you'll hear from our sponsor, Anchor, and then we'll be back with our friends, the paranoid style. So I believe that you guys have already shouted out Chaz Bull City Records uh, on, on a previous episode uh, here in Durham. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Rob, you 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 shouted them out previously. Uh, that is definitely one that I want to give a shout out to. But since they've already gotten a little bit of you forgot one love, I would also, if it's okay with you, shout out Jennifer O'Connor's Main Street Beat up in Nyack, New York. I don't know if you guys have shouted her out before, but she's got an awesome little independent record store up there in Nyack. That's Main Street Beat, located at 95 Main Street in Nyack, New York. They are open Monday through Thursday, noon to 7 p.m., Friday and Saturday, noon to 8 p.m., and Sunday, 12 to 6. You can find them online at MainStreetBeat.com.
when we had you on for the very first time, you are now, I mean, certainly friends of the pod. We've had you on for uh, three episodes. Um, but the first time y'all were on, we talked about, you know, your five albums. And one of the albums that you mentioned was Sometimes I Sit and Think, Sometimes I Just Sit by Courtney Barnett. So let's start here. When did you become fans of Courtney Barnett? What was your first exposure? And uh, what were your first thoughts on her as an artist? Well, I remember that somebody sent us the... Well, go ahead. Don't say somebody. Go ahead. <laughs> Our friend Owen sent us... Um, Our friend, the novelist, the novelist Owen King. King um, who has a new book coming out. Um, a wonderful, wonderful book for 2022. And he's a, an adjunct and a, a, a valuable adjunct member of the Paranoid Style. Yes, he is. Uh, a top advisor. Um, our friend Owen King, uh, the novelist, sent to us uh, the link to the Avant Gardener video. And he was like, you guys should check this out. It's really cool. And so we watched it. And of course, we're completely blown away by how funny it was and how great she was and how great the lyrics were. And I mean, and I, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of person when you do something like that and you say, you know, well, look at this, you'll love this. And especially coming from the likes of Owen King, I'm, I'm completely prepared to hate it. You know, I mean, I am ready to, you know, I'm, I'm ready to dismiss it within 20 seconds. And it's just one of those things where it's like, uh Oh, you know, I, I it's such a cliche to say, talk about artists emerging fully formed, but kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, she the, the the entire aesthetic is in place and, you know, and it's incredibly catchy and incredibly wry and incredibly funny and you get the reference points, but it feels original. Um, and so the, I, that, that was my recollection. And that was, what, six, seven years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, because the, the full length came out, like, and we had seen, like, that she had done a video for Pedestrian at Best. I think that's when we realized that she had done the record, and that was 2015. So okay, this was right. Part so, of that. Been, yeah. so, and then we were like, I guess, you know, like, oh, she's done something else. Like, let's check it out. And then that was even more revelatory because now she is, you know, well, you know, in sort of her full flowering with the big band and, and this incredibly aggressive song. Um, and so, like, that was really... Um, where we're like, okay, this is not just a one-off. This this woman is unbelievably gifted, yeah. and and I think that was where I was. And then yeah, I, I just started watching like every video on YouTube, and I became completely obsessed with with her talent. So I think that that's pretty much. I mean, I think that's everybody's kind of story with her. But I would be interested to hear what you guys, what your experience was. Yeah, I was late to the game. Um, I knew very little about Courtney Barnett until kind of the end of the year list started coming out. And suddenly here's this album that I hadn't heard of that was suddenly showing up everywhere. And so immediately, you know, immediately I found myself kind of going, all right, what's the, and it was kind of the late discovery that I needed the kind of end of the year list. I needed other people to recognize and kind of recommend it for me, but I'm grateful that I'm grateful that it went that way. And, and for me that, that I think again is, you know, as, as cliched as they are. And, and I know for a lot of music journalists and I'm, I'm sure that uh, for the two of you, as much as you've had to write lists in your music journalism, you know, there, there's a love hate relationship there. Uh, but yeah. one of the benefits of the end of the year list is that it helps people like me kind of be exposed to music. They wouldn't have heard otherwise. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. For me, I was in grad school um, finishing or supposed to be finishing my thesis I mean, this was a great time for music in general, that spring and summer of 2015, because To Pimp a Butterfly by, by Kendrick had like just kind of come out. And, and this came out. And my end, I, I'd heard like Avon Gardner as well. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, get the pun. Love it. I'm all mm-hmm. in. And then, and then, then pedestrian at best, I was just like, then I was like, Ooh, Whoa. I, I already thought I was all in, but then it just like, I was like, now I'm like, yeah. yeah. Now I'm like, this is like one of my people. Now this is someone like when the record comes out, I'm going to be there to get it. Like no questions asked. Like this is great. I was, I had a friend who was uh, a DJ, uh, DJ kitten um, at the university of Mississippi. And she would do like different kind of things. I was like pushing, like, you got to get this stuff like on the college radio. This is amazing. And uh, yeah. And then um after that, I had a, I got a, I was driving a 99 Toyota Corolla and I had the album on tape. Uh, so I played it on tape a lot awesome. and really had a great time driving. It's great to drive a car from the late nineties and listen to an album that's so conjuring music from like 92 to 94. Um, that felt really great. So yeah, being a grad student, having this come out, um, another one should mention is uh, Painted Shut by Hopalong. Yeah, 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 that's a great record. Yeah, Francis Quinlan's amazing. So really great time. And so um, that this album didn't get lost and like all of the great music coming out is is a testament to just how great and exceptional uh, that record is. Yeah. Yeah, we were talking about um the immediacy and just the buoyancy of the production and just like yeah uh, yeah saying to like give this you know for somebody who's not a you know inclined or is not a fan or is not looking for it's like give me 30 seconds of your life and put on you know elevator operator and tell me you know if you don't like that that, that that's fine but you know it's like it's something so where you really feel and i'm not i'm not sure how they did it and as much as i like her subsequent records and i do like them a lot um there's there's an quite that same sense of buoyancy or immediacy. Um, and cause I, I don't think that you, you know, there's a certain, um, I, I, you know, I think there's a certain design, but there's also just a certain, you know, lightning in a bottle quality to it. It's just like all of this talent just like spilling out, you know, and the band is so great and there's such a, you know, such a, you know, tightly coiled little machine. And it just, you know, you just kind of brings you along. You know, I mean, it's just like, you're just speeding along with the thing and it's, it's just wonderful, it's incredible. sort of fun anecdote about like that kind of give me 30 seconds of your time and tell me if you don't like this. So there was a, you know, around the time that the record came out, I was working at a record store and um, I would play that record frequently because it's just a lot of fun to put on. And um, 
a guy came into the store and was just kind of browsing. And this is the only time that this has happened to me at the, at the store. I mean, I didn't work there very long, but um, he actually did the cliche thing of like, Hey, what is this? Sounds pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, you know, it's this woman, Courtney Barnett and her record, you know, just came out and he's like, Oh yeah. You know, like, can you show me where that is? And like, you know, like wanted to buy it immediately. Uh, do you remember what else though? Um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, we were doing overdubs for, I guess, the Rolling Disclosure with Brian Paulson, uh, who is a great, great producer and a friend of ours who recorded a couple of our LPs. And this was around the time that Beth was in full throes of Courtney mania. And so you were hearing, you know, keyboard overdubs and tambourine overdubs and vocal overdubs. And in the meantime, you're going and kind of just watching, you know, and Brian, who is this wonderful guy from Minneapolis, uh, you know, is this wonderful Midwestern kind of, you know, Kind of looking over, what was that? And it's like, oh, this is Courtney, it's Courtney Barnett. And, you know, and then by the time we were done, it's like, well, I know what I'm doing for the rest of my afternoon is going to be watching Courtney Barnett videos. So, you know, it, it was working on everybody. Um, and she's, you know, she's magnetic on stage too. She has that whole thing. Uh, she's, she's kind of a full, full compliment. Who's like awesome guitar player. Um, oh yeah. You know, I, I'm just like, I, I, I don't know where she came from, but uh, I mean, she came from Australia, I guess. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's just like it, I, I, I was kind of floored from I mean, I, yeah, I really enjoyed Avant Gardner. And then, yeah, and then we really enjoyed um, when uh, Pedestrian the Best, you know, I think a Pitchfork debuted or something. Like that. So very good. And then, but yeah, the record is just like, OK, well, it's, this is going to be with us. Uh, and the themes are so interesting, you know, and she's such an interesting writer. Yeah, I, I want to talk for a second about the band, and, and, and you mentioned what a great guitar player she is, and it's interesting, you know, <laughs> Elizabeth, you talk about a high fidelity someone, you know, where you're working at a record store and you put it on, <laughs> you know, what's what's this, and, and you certainly got them, <laughs> but it's it's also that thing for me where you know, reading the end of the year reviews and kind of seeing her on the lists, and then going and streaming this album, and so so enjoying the album and yet at the same time you know obviously you can tell from her accent that she's australian or, or you know i didn't know whether or not she was australian or a kiwi but you know kind of that aussie new zealand thing um but kind of knowing the general area that she's from but you can also hear this big really vibrant band and so for me, it's that thing of loving this whole album and then finally going down the rabbit hole of like looking for all the YouTube clips of her playing live. And that's when it blew me away because in, and maybe, you know, maybe there's a certain degree of sexism built into this. Maybe there's just the expectations of what most bands are like, but normally when you have a band where there is a front person, you know, who's also, playing an instrument, especially for guitar, you rarely do you have kind of your lead guitar player be your, be your primary vocalist. You know, typically you, you know, they're normally a rhythm guitar player. And then you have, you know, your kind of shredder off in the corner who's, yeah. who's doing all the lead stuff. And then watching these videos of her playing with his band and going, Oh no, this is, this is her guitar playing that she is, she's not only singing all of this and also one of the things you know thinking about paranoid style as a band 
you know, the, the music that you all make is highly literate music, you know, and, and kind of going for the, for the deep reference going for the, Hey, you know, we're going to throw this kind of random thing out and see how many people notice it, you know, an entire song devoted to Alan Greenspan, those kind of things. Like it, it, it's almost that thing that I feel like you get all of that with Courtney Barnett as a songwriter and as a vocalist, but then you also get the lead guitar prowess and it's, it's this rare combination. I really can't think of anyone else in modern music that we see that combination in much less this kind of, you know, mid 20 year, you know, mid 20 year old who arrives fully formed doing this out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, it, I know it's so true. And I, I, I I've experienced enough disappointment in my life to realize that there are so such a thing as no matter how good you try to uh, hold yourself to, uh, there's just people who are better. I, I've been playing guitar, you know, 35 years. And I turned this, you know, video for playing Pitchfork Festival, wherever it was. She's just playing circles around me. She's singing circles around anything I could do. Just, just like, you know, she's a supernova. She's just one of these people. And yeah, I mean, I don't, maybe Malcolmus, you know, as a guy in the genre who plays and, and fronts the band that way. But even then there's a second guitar. I don't even think in that. Yeah. I think that was a, you know, I mean, I guess Cobain, you know, I, um, though, I, you know, I, mean, I don't know what, yeah, but no, it's, 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 yeah, it's that level of talent. It's that level of kind of like, you know, Elizabeth likes to play a parlor game uh, where she recasts the million dollar quartet jukebox musical uh, with all women. And Courtney has been her Elvis. Uh, I think Courtney was also her Carl Perkins once too. Uh, but you know, she, you know, you, you know, you have that kind of conversation about her. She's like, yeah, is, is this is a, this is a high, high level uh, uh, writer and player. Well, and I think the other thing that's sort of interesting about, her guitar playing is that i mean yes she is like a a legitimately great shredder but she's also holding down the rhythm at the same time which is like you know like a wilco johnson thing mm -hmm. um you know where she is able to kind of keep you know a really like nice chugging downstroke while she's like sneaking in these leads and i mean you know I guess if a dude wanted to nag her, you know, they could say that, you know, she had somebody else playing those leads on the record that we're talking about. But then she has said in interviews that the guy who played on the record, and I think she wrote the leads. I think she just had him come into the studio and play them. His name is Dan Luscombe. And um, he couldn't go on tour with her. So she had to teach herself to be able to play lead and rhythm at the same time. And she's left-handed. Um, so, I mean, that's just a remarkable thing to be able I mean, it's, it's really hard. Playing guitar is hard just to begin with. And then to be able to play rhythm and lead simultaneously and sing all at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, she's better than just about anybody. As a left-handed person who plays everything right-handed, but who cares? Uh, <laughs> You love to see a left-handed guitarist, especially if they're going to play a Telecaster or Fender Jag. Um, and she gets some of the best sounds out of those guitars, out of anybody. Um, the only other person I can think of who's doing that um, is uh, Adrian Linker from Big Thief. I'd always kind of assumed that Buck Meek was kind of shredding yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's really off just doing flourishes and really just having a great time all by himself. And it's yeah, Adrian who's... Just yeah, I've seen a couple of videos of them and she's, yeah, she's a monster player. And yeah, that's a big part, I guess, of the 
and I, 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 I confess, I, I, I thought the same thing. I, I, I don't know why. Um, probably some some latent sexism or something. It's like no, um, but yes, yeah, no. Nah, yeah, she's an awesome player too. It does seem when you listen to this album, especially that Courtney Barnett's style musically, or, you know, it, it, the, the influences that she's kind of wearing on her sleeve are very nineties rock. It, but one of the things that we've been talking, Mikai and I've been talking about lately is that, you know, for as big as a band as Nirvana was, and as huge as that moment in time of, um, that that kind of moment of the grunge rock era that took over from like the end of 1991 to early 1996, it really seems to be the underground band. It seems to be the, the independent rock bands during that same period of time that have had the much bigger influence and the much more long lasting yeah. kind of staying power, even though for many of them, they never got anywhere close to the sales that, the grunge rock bands that were all, you know, jumping ship to major labels as fast as they could yeah. as soon as, as soon as Nevermind was released. And, and so I wonder for someone like Courtney Barnett, you know, of course, growing up in Australia, when you listen to this record, what are the influences? What are those kind of early nineties influences you hear when you listen to her? Well, I mean, definitely the Nirvana thing. Um, she she has, I think she's said that, you know, like she loves the go-betweens. Yeah, Nirvana um, by way of Pixies, you know, yeah. so that's that sort of thing. But I'm, I, you know, I, I associated to her very quickly and I, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of, I think that stuff is clearly there and it's clearly uh, a, a big part of, um, you, know, a, a, you know, a big part of her aesthetic. But I always, you know, the, the things that came to mind for me was like modern lovers, you know, it's just kind of, oh, uh, you know, this, yeah, uh, uh, this chronicler of the prosaic uh, who was kind of giving, you know, both the, uh, you know, uh, the the joys and, and, and horrors of this exurban life, and you know, what, and I, 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 I've, I've not been to Australia, but I have very much in my mind notionally but having a lot in common with the West Coast, of the United States, where you have you know just long, 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 lots of space and long highways, and um, and this kind of you know you know the lonesome crowded west whatever you know um and i think like also just to if i may supplement this I, the other kind of 90s band 
that comes through and you had mentioned Malkmus, but yeah. pavement, uh, I think is a huge influence. Yeah. You know, she plays like Malkmus, um, mm-hmm. you know, there in her most recent record, uh, things take time, take time. She's got that song Ray street where she has the lyric, all eyes on the pavement. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Is, is she just acknowledging that like, wowie's Zowie, you know, is a big influence on her, like the stoner paranoia and the suburban kind of, you know, ennui and then just kind of making life in miniature in this way. Um, So I would think Pavement would be another one that I I would think Pavement for sure. And uh, and I would connect. Yeah, I I can you know connect Wowie Zowie and that sort of suburban kind of hellscape and the. Uh, you know, two two modern lovers and the motoric and the groove, and then that sense of something like depressed in, which you know is kind of gets into that deep kind of quasi country vibe the pavement used to do not that often, but so well. Um, and so, and then you know, of course, they're the you know the flying nun bands and the the go betweens and all the stuff from that part of the world, um, the clean and all that, which I think you know definitely registered as well. And so you know, it's a uh, for you know crate bigger geeks, you know, like us, you know, it's just like, Oh, it's all there. <laughs> you know, she's, she's touching all the bases and yeah, no, I think it, it's a really interesting point about Nirvana and, you know, it, it seems to me that attitudinally that they have had, I'm not a person who would claim to have a very good working knowledge of like SoundCloud rap, but they seem to have kind of migrated over in terms of having a really, really big influence on, you know, kind of like s- sort of, lo-fi modern hip-hop that's very popular but I, in terms of their bands still really sound like nirvana they you know they they sound much more like pavement or um and yeah and, it, and it's interesting that you know the, we always talk about the idea of like how the replacements seem to have more currency culturally now than rem uh who, mm-hmm. who they were always kind of running neck and neck with and rem obviously got absolutely huge and they're both awesome they're both great bands but it's like yeah the replacements are quasi ubiquitous in music circles now and rem feels at a remove uh so they had you know so would you rather have this you know huge huge success and make all the money probably but then there's something very uh there's something extraordinarily efficacious about that slow burn where, you know, people find out about you and you're kind of handed down like a little artifact and a, and a folk object. And, you know, you, you know, and, and in some ways that the enduring nature of that mystery, you know, it becomes more powerful over time. So I think some of the bands that didn't get as big as Nirvana uh, in some ways, uh, you know, have accrued more currency over time. And I find that to be just kind of an interesting way that culture unfolds. I'm I'm glad y'all mentioned the modern lovers because somehow I had never thought to pair her with Jonathan Richmond. Uh, but of course that made that makes absolute perfect sense. And I'd never thought about it before. But then that also uh Elizabeth, you were saying like all eyes on the pavement and being like, hmm, like for me, there's another thing for Lou Reed and Velvet Underground. For sure. And the elevator operator where she says elevator, uh one two nine. Lexington okay I see what you're doing here for sure. uh, loving this for sure and there's clearly a lot of there's clearly a lot of velvets uh and a lot of, a, a lot of Lou Reed and in and, and, and her guitar playing and in her singing you know and her sort of elocution um and um you know I feel like there's a lot of that sort of um you know kind of 
droning kale organ back in the mix. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, she does that stuff extraordinarily well. And in that sense, Yola Tango too, as you know, probably, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if she's a big fan or not, but I hear that in her music and maybe it's just pulling from similar influences, but, and yeah. And then of course she, she dressed up as Dylan for the Avant Gardner video. Right. So there's some, I think there's somebody in her band, but there was that Dylan there's presence. A, there's a deal, somebody it was like Dylan in tennis and maybe like a, you know, was a blow up reference or I don't anyway, I don't remember, but uh, yeah. So um, so for sure, I mean, I understand why people uh, have a tendency to associate her to the sort of '90s indie boom, uh, but I hear I hear a lot of '70s in, in, in there as well, and a lot of, I hear some '60s, 60s and a lot of '70s, sure. yeah. Um, and I and and I don't think it's an accident. I think she, you know, I think she's hitting those notes literally and figuratively, uh, quite deliberately. She she is. There's something that's so enjoyable about listening to an artist who you can tell they are a music lover. Yeah. Like they're, they're not just a great songwriter and, and a great performer and great guitar player, but they themselves are, are, are a music lover. Just the, the diversity of influences and, um, you know, just, just the fact that someone who clearly is pulling from all those different places, I, I think works uh, just so well. I'll lay you awake at four. I want to I want to talk for a moment the APRA, which is essentially um, the the Australian version of the Recording Industry Association, uh, named her Songwriter of the Year in 2015 when this album came out. What is it when we think about Courtney Barnett, not just as a musician, not just as a guitar player, not just as a vocalist, but specifically as a songwriter and the way that the, the songs on this album are crafted. What is so compelling to us about her as a songwriter? Well, I think, you know, from she, you know, one thing about this record that, I mean, it, it, it really is an extraordinary record on a number of levels, you know, uh, but uh, she's a great storyteller and she tells, she's, she, she builds out these characters and she's got kind of these fully, fully fledged characters in some cases in three minutes where she'll, you know, she can, you know, really psychologically analyze, uh, you know, somebody that feels familiar, uh, their anxieties. That's a, you know, very much, you know, she's very much, and in this respect, she reminds me a little of Stuart Murdoch from Bell and Sebastian, you know, who she knows these people, we cut and she conjures them and she fills out their stories and she's epigrammatic. She's got jokes and asides. She's got, you know, and, um, that kind of world building, you know, uh, you know, done with the with the efficiency uh in the economy that she does is you know i mean it's just world-class talent you know i mean it's just world-class talent as a writer so for me you know um 
you know, that was you know, above and beyond the, the hooks, which were tremendous and the, you know, and, and the band, which, you know, I, I, I left her storytelling. I, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I mean, I think, you know, she I, I rightly, um, you know, gets, um, praised for her vignettes and her storytelling mm-hmm. and, and being able to conjure these characters and, and it's all very small and that mm-hmm. seems sort of precious and twee and Wes anderson and all these things that I, I like, I guess. Um, but, you know, she also is able to zoom outward into a, mm-hmm. a political space, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of sneakily almost, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, whether it's talking about, and I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not you know, splitting the atom here, but like, you know, talking about the gentrification in D- Depreston mm-hmm. or like, I mean, then the, she has like also like just blatant lyrics. Like I wrote this down from Kin's Caravan. There's a paper on the ground. It makes my headache quite profound. As I read it aloud, it said the Great Barrier Reef ain't so great anymore. It's been raped beyond belief. The dredgers treat it like a whore. I mean, that's like a John Langford lyric. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, she's not... I feel like she sort of, you know, it's like, oh, it's so, you know, she's she's so nice and she's got all these little characters and everything, but it's like, no, she's like actually kind of saying things too. And whether it's environmental or, you know, social, I feel like um, that that gets neglected a little bit because we're all so fixated on how great she is at creating these little universes that are so perfect um, that like, she's also kind of like, coolly political yeah. in a sneaky way where you're like, oh, man, am I learning? Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's completely, I think that's totally valid. I think she's a very, and, you know, again, you know, to, to be able to do that with nuance and subtlety and carry it off um, is, you know, it's just not, it's just a rare, I mean, it's rare that, that, um, that, that people can pull that off. And yeah, so, yes, she's, she's got, um, she's got quite a bit to say about, uh, you know, just the day-to-day, you know, the hair trigger anxiety of, uh, you know, trying to uh, metabolize, you know, uh, metabolize the modern world. Uh, and, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Beth. What about you guys? Listening to the record again, you know, for the purposes of this, I was just like how many different types of songwriting that she's capable of bringing to like, if you just like read at least the first half of like elevator operator, you might think it's Paul McCartney, right? Just like yeah. starting off with like a name. Here's the guy. This is what he does. This is in the office. It's just like, the, you know, like you kind of get, you know, like a Paul McCartney kind of thing, but then you can also get some Dylan-esque kind of stuff in there too. Um, especially with like depressed in the photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam. Like it's very easy to put Dylan's voice on that. And, um, you know, and then something on like dead Fox where like Elizabeth was saying and, and, and Timmy too, like, um, we're like, if you can't see me, I can't see you. It's like, okay, that's, it's a hook and it's, you know, it, you know, it seems fine, but then you're like, Oh, this is actually like a really like profound socio-political yeah. statement. Like yeah. if I can't see like, that this war is happening. If I can't see that this environmental crisis happening, that it's not happening to me, you know what I mean? Like, but it's disguised as one of the kind of the catchier hooks yeah. on the album, you know? And I, and I love that too. And also a lot of the times on this record, very funny, 
you know, give me all your money. I'll make some origami, honey. You know, it's just like, again, a poli- like a political statement that's also very funny. You know, it's, it's there. She has a lot to offer as a songwriter and she, and talking about like that immediacy, you know, there is kind of like a feeling like, okay, well, I don't know how many, how many records I'm going to get to make. So I'm going to give everything I have to offer on this record, you know, and maybe some people have, you know, criticized her other albums as not having, you know, a lot of what the first record offers. I, I love all of her albums, yeah, um, but you know, so maybe to some people she may have exhausted some of the, all that stuff just for this one record. I don't quite see it that way, but this one is pretty special in that way. And I think it, a lot of it comes from that kind of immediacy of just having to get this stuff down and, and on the record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and just to follow up briefly on, I think that's really, an, an, you know, to thinking of pedestrian best and um, you know, um, there's something for a younger person than certainly than I am, um, you know, who was obviously uh, came up at a different time with a different set of cultural ideas about, I, I, I can't help but be very attracted to, there's a certain, uh, there's a certain diffidence towards, um, you know, success at any cost. There's a certain, it seems to me that we have, you know, the, the, the entire notion for better or worse. And I, I understand how hard the music business is. And I understand that people need to make a living, but the entire notion of that, maybe your music, is not just to sell things and maybe you're, you know, maybe the ultimate goal is not just to, you know, uh, you know, monetize, uh, but there's, there's a, 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 she, she seems vestigial almost to a different time where, you know, you might hold yourself to a higher set of expectations than I just want to, you know, be whatever the consensus, uh, you know, trend is in the moment. And um, I, I, you know, that's catnip to me. It's just kind of that sort of sense of like, it's great pop music and anybody, you know, but there's a, a, you, you sense that she has a, a set of principles around what she's doing that kind of um, is by and large fallen by the wayside in the current entertainment ecosystem. Um, and I, I, just, I love her for it. Well, did she start the label that she's on? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, that's, you know, do yourself culture right there, yeah, you know? For sure. Yeah. I stare at the Lord. It's Wednesday morning. It needs a cut, but I'll leave it growing. All different sizes and shades of green. Slashing it down just seems kind of She does she does these kind of two things so well in in the way that she juxtaposes them even sometimes within the same song 
is is so impressive to me and she really does she does and you know we talked about the you know kind of some some dylan being in there she does the thing that dylan does so well which is create these kind of fully formed worlds around characters that he builds and she does that so well but then the the deeply personal she does she does the thing that dylan kind of never does which is the stripped bare deeply personal almost confessional quality thing in in the way that she does those side by side is so impressive to me and then and then again doing it kind of like we mentioned that there are across this album so many different influences and so many different types of songs and so many kind of you know, reference points to different things in the history of, of popular music and the way that all of that comes together. It, it It's such an incredible feat to me in terms of the architecture of these songs and then the architecture she's building, this kind of scaffolding that she's building mm-hmm. around this lyrical content. But then, you know, you have a song like Small Poppies, which you know, in some ways kind of comes across as this like very, almost like a dirty blues number, like just in how, I mean, huge guitar solo in it that kind of gets to that almost like Malcolmus kind of pavement-esque kind of like barely restrained sloppiness in, in the guitar playing that I, that I still love. And, and then you have that. And then you also get to a, a song like Boxing Day Blues that is so stripped down and bare with this song. Like, I love all of your ideas. You love the idea of me. Like just, just this, like everyone who's ever been through the ups and downs of relationships, the romantic, you know, the overly romanticized, you know, idea of relationships. I love all your ideas. You love the idea of me. And then getting that. And then also getting elevator operator, like the, the idea that you get these different worlds next to the the unbelievably transparent and and kind of authentic uh it it's just kind of like you kind of like you said tim like it's one of those things you you listen to her do it and you go i could spend every day the rest of my life i would never be that good (laughs) The, the thing that she seems to be able to do just naturally I, I, there's, there's no, there's no access point for me to ever do that. It's interesting. And I, and I, I, I know very, very little about her background. I, you know, it's, uh, and I, I, it seems to me, you know, I think Beth had listened to some interviews and didn't find her to be overly forthcoming, you know, not, not unfriendly, but just, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it which, you know, leaves it in the world of imagination. And so I'm like, where did she come from? But, you know, I, you know, as somebody, you know, uh, who's labored at, uh, at the songwriting gambit, you know, uh, you know, there's the, this, uh, magical sense of like, what, uh, and, 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 you know, and you have that experience every so often. I, I remember distinctly, you know, hearing, um, I heard the second Bell and Sebastian album first. I think the first one was out of print at the time, but if you're feeling sinister and I, I, I didn't, um, 97, I guess, or 96. And, um, I was a college DJ or whatever I was saying. So I was like, you really, you really like this. You got to hear this. And that's like, yeah, it looks like the Smiths and I like Smiths, whatever. But, and I just remember thinking, what the, you know, I mean, it's just like this, you know, like you know, whatever, 10 or 11 what songs that seem to be just, just, these were just like the rock of Gibraltar. They were just seemed to be carved out of like, 
you know, you know, the, the, the bones of human history and they were perfect. And I just go, and, you know, and when you, and, and I felt a little bit that way with, um, with the corneum, I was just like, yeah, I mean, and, um, and, and, and there's an, in the fact that there is, uh, an error, um, and I think there continues to be, uh, a little bit of, um, uh, mystique to her, you know, uh, her persona only contributes to that because you, you know, she's not, she's a magician who's not out explaining her tricks, you know? Uh, and, um, so it's exciting. I mean, it's an exhilarating feeling when you stumble upon something like that. Uh, and you know, it's moderately discouraging, but, uh, but also exhilarating. I, I do want to mention, you know, you're talking, talking about this idea of, of kind of a, a magician who's not showing us their tricks. And, you know, thinking about this kind of person who kind of arrives with this mystique and kind of arrives out of nowhere, it does make me think it's kind of that, you know, it's the, it's the Robert Johnson story. It's the, there's a crossroads moment. And so in in the same way that like, you know, you, you think of Mississippi and, you know, the 1920s with a blues musician, there's, there's also a part of you that's kind of going, all right, like somewhere in the late eighties, did something like that exist in Glasgow? And that's where Bell and Sebastian come from. Like, like, is there some Melbourne suburb that has, you know, some version of the same thing? And this is where Courtney Barnett arrives from. Cause it does seem to be that heavy with just out, just out of nowhere. It's really interesting. And you know, I, this is, uh, this is slightly tangential, but um, Elizabeth and I are reading uh, this book by, uh, there's a new book by Lenny Kay, um, which is really actually really, really good. And I think it's called lightning strikes, but it's basically seven different instances of scenes that were uh, pivotal to rock and roll um, and sort of uh, how they happened and what was the back backdrop. And, and one of them, you know, is he deals with Liverpool and uh, you know, Beatles way, mercy sound and mercy beat, whatever. Go. And I learned a lot, you know, like I thought I knew everything about the Beatles, but like, I really, I, I learned a lot from that because it wasn't so much focused on the Beatles it was like, like we think of it as being an almost religious mystical coincidence that, you know, those guys would get together in that, you know, lovely, but nevertheless kind of backwater and change the world as, as, you know, comprehensively as what they did. But the reality is there are a million things going on in Liverpool as a port town, as a post-war town, as a place where there was, a, you know, the arts college that was subsidizing. And so, and there are tons and tons of musicians and poets and ideas passing through there. And so it's still astonishing, you know, I mean, everything about, everything about the Beatles is astonishing, but into the point of Melbourne or Glasgow or whatever, you know, in, in these times where the, the, these talents seem to emerge, um, you know, frequently there, it's more than something, you know, in the water. It's a lot of, you know, like civic design and mm-hmm. infrastructure and ideas about art taking, uh, you know, and, and affordable living and, you know, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, bankrolling people to get arts degrees, which they did in England post-war, you know, that was, that was so responsible for so much of the rock and roll boom. So I, I find that to be a really interesting, yeah, it's like, what are the things that make something like that happen that makes somebody who has the intrinsic talent of a Courtney Barnett be able to actualize it and get it out into the world? And obviously a lot of that is, you know, her being a motivated self-starter, but a lot of that I think also is probably down to community 
Um, and, and so I find that interesting. Yeah, and I think the other thing too about the Beatles that and I, you know, this isn't probably new either, but like, you know, you know, everybody's just like, oh, they just practiced ten thousand hours, and you know, they got to be the Beatles, and it's like that's that's not quite right. Like, yes, they did they did do that, but they were also incredibly ambitious. They were very very deeply motivated, like you said. I think they had their eyes on greatness. Now, obviously, they pretty much you know invented a lot of music um and and so it, uh, you know it's it's unfair to, to cast the beatles in that light but i do think that they were hell-bent on success well, and, it's interesting. and it's not just like well we'll just if you know okay so we got nine thousand. uh you know what <laughs> contrast in the book I, I don't want to do it lenny k like uh, i do recommend the book but it's to your point you know like he talks about rory storm and the hurricanes which was the band ringo is in first they got stolen from and um and rory storm was this i guess i, I you know i i've heard songs about an unbelievably charismatic performer it's an absolutely just you know unbelievably captivating but he was basically like didn't particularly understand why anybody would want to be popular outside of liverpool he's like i'm fine with that you know, and, you know, like I'm the biggest act at the Cavern Club and, um, you know, and, and I think ultimately, you know, his life kind of took some tragic turns, which are, but, you know, it's like, yeah, you, had, you, you know, it's like, so you have, you know, that level of a, a talent and then that level of opportunity and then that level of ambition. Yeah. And you put those things together and, uh, you know, and, and as Lenny Case says, lightning strikes. Um, but, yeah, I'd love to see a documentary about her because, yeah, I'm a geek for this stuff and I'd love to understand yeah. like what was that, you know, I, I you know, you know, what was what was that formulative experience like, you know. this album now here we are in 2022 how has this album held up for you seven years later oh i i think it's stupendous but you know it's one of those things you know it's one of those records where um it you know and, and i again actually i don't know very much like I, I i would like to know and i i guess i could probably do the research but i don't like i don't know where they cut it i assume in australia and i don't know who produced it and i don't but it it, it it's one of those ones where this could have come out in you know 1974 it could have come out in 1988 uh you know or could have come out or did come out in 2015 it's one of those ones which has that you know um the quality of of sonic quality where it's like it's it's born to exist in time you know it's it, it, it's sort of insulated i think from from aging um it, it doesn't uh, i think it's you know it doesn't betray anything that you would say well that's uh is exactly the sound of 2015 you know i, I think it's a it's just an incredibly well recorded album um and um yeah and the songs are just you know they, they just they're just more they get more poignant they they 
they um I, I think they I think it's aged extraordinarily well, but I I I had a feeling when I heard it, you know, like, oh, this is going to be a classic in perpetuity. It, it had that feeling to it. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, um, same. Like, it, like from start to finish, like, after every song, I was like, I mean, these are all, these songs are, like, instant classics. Like, that, that side one yeah. is, like, unbeatable. Like, it's from Elevator Operator to Depressed, like, it's, it's an incredible side one alone. But yeah, it was that it's like you were saying, you know, like it could have come out in the 70s and been produced by Nick Lowe and it still would be a hit. In the 80s, it could have been produced by Gil Norton. It would still be a hit. In the 90s, could have been produced by Scott Litt. Still be a hit. But it came out in 2015. And that's the best time for this record. I mean, you can make the point that if it had come out like in the 90s, right? Because later we're going to have to discuss, like, you know, is it too soon to call this, like, an all-time great? But if it had come out in the 90s, I don't think it'd be a question. You know, everyone, you know, would be like, yeah, of course, okay. this is you know? Um, so, but I love that it came out in 2015, and I love that it's from someone who, according to Wikipedia, was born in 1987. You know, so someone who's pretty young by the time this record comes out, you know? And um, I think as someone who was born pretty close to that time, um, listening it, listening to it in grad school, I was thinking like, this is a record for me. This is a record for my generation. This is a stuff that we are concerned about. Um, this is a sound that we love. Like this is, this is our humor. Like it, it felt like, um, as someone who always compares everything to Dylan, like it, it felt like how they must've felt like the boomers, like having Dylan as their voice of generation. Of course, she's not concerned with, you know, she's not writing civil rights anthems, but just someone who was just saying like, yes, like this is, this is us. This is of this time while also having this timeless quality, which is, I mean, that's like the best you can do, right? Something that is of its time, but also completely timeless. Like mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a great spot to hit. And uh, she does it well. I was talking to, uh, you know, Elizabeth a little bit before this, but like, there are just things like there aren't like perfect analogies, but when she says things and she's writes or she sings things like, you know, a friend told me they put nicotine in the apples yeah, you know, yeah, to yeah. me, like that is 21st century. The pumps don't work because the vandals took the handles. You know oh, what I mean? Like totally. that's, that's how I hear that. And I go, yes, this is, this is a classic. I, I get where this is coming from, and, but it, it is completely hers and is completely now and i think that it's going to have a bright future because uh climate crisis isn't getting better um you know women's rights are you know uh, well, up in the air you know so i think it's gonna hold up really well over time and i i mean i i think that that's so i mean like yeah because you know we were, we were talking about this stuff but you know it's like it's it's great that it resonates with millennials um and you know as somebody who's gen x it resonated with me too like mm-hmm. uh you know it, it, for the reasons that you say like her themes um are fairly kind of universal i think you know i, I mean it, it seems like it, it also appeals to men as well as women and you know she is she's australian and she's queer and you know she's a lot of things that don't typically appeal to a certain demographic of rock and roll listeners mm-hmm. um but you know i, I feel like she manages to tr- transcend age she transcends gender um which is is a pretty difficult you know trick to pull off and she manages to do it because i think everybody you know you know 
just kind of vibes to the things that she says. And I, I think that that really does sort of lend to the Dylan-ness of her. Well, and I, and I, I you know, that's really, I, I love that you made that point. I love you made that point about being, you know, roughly her age and the thought, yeah, and, you know, and in the corollary with Dylan in 65 or 66 really is kind of facing a, you know, a, a, feckless institutions tackling end time problems that they clearly are not capable of handling. Like clearly, you know, uh, you know, we are, you know, nobody is driving the bus and uh, or whoever's driving the bus does not have good intentions. And she is living in that anxiety, but she's also having a lot of fun with it. You're so completely terrified about what, how bleak the future feels that at a certain point, all you can do is crack jokes at, about it and, uh, and and sort of illuminate it in that way. And so I, I think that that's a really, really, really strong correlation. Talking about her is like, is it the wrong package? Or a few years ago, this would have been the wrong package. I think Courtney Barnett kind of signals like the new rock star. Yeah. You know, because like we're not looking at for Jimmy Pages and Jimi Hendrix and Keith Moons. We're not looking for white boys who are going to trash hotel rooms and drive cars into pools. You know, we're looking for these more introspective people. And now we're really looking toward mostly women. You know, and queer women, you know, when you look at some of the big artists right now in rock music, you know, we're talking about Courtney Barnett. I've already mentioned Francis Quinlan from Hong, uh, Hopalong, who came out as non-binary recently. Uh, Mitski, Japanese Breakfast, Angel Olsen, you know, like all of these women are, you know, kind of the faces of the uh, uh, Adrian Linker, Big Thief, right? You know, these people who we look to is kind of carrying rock music and they're all women. And I believe everyone I mentioned is, is queer or like uh, gender fluid or, you know, so, you know, I think she just kind of ushered in a new era of rock stars and what rock stars look like. Um, it just happens to be during a time where rock music isn't as culturally relevant or popular as it once was, you know, and if, you know, of course, she's not the first person ever to do this. It's, a, it's a really, I think that's really, really well observed. And I, I, Elizabeth, I want to quiz you a little bit about kind of the combination. Um, I, I mean, you know, like I maybe it's all just kind of wrapped up in that one lyric, put me on a pedestal and I'll only disappoint you. I mean, she's fearless enough to say, mm. like, mm. you keep telling me that I'm great, you know, but like, 
you have to kind of manage your expectations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I definitely think that, I, I mean, I don't know her, I cannot speak for her, but that is very, very concise way to describe kind of, uh, the experience of feeling imposter syndrome, um, a lot of things that women go through when uh, they are on the precipice of success or are successful mm-hmm. is like, you know, um, you're never quite good enough, mm-hmm. you know, but she gets up there and she fucking screams it at you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, you know, not to, not to just kind of reduce it to that, but I, I that, that lyric has always stuck with me as mm-hmm. being like, okay, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, yeah, so maybe, so- maybe that would be, it's a nice answer. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And it's like, yeah, there's just that, that duality that, you know, I mean, it's like, I, I, I it's, it's been very interesting. The experience of doing the band with Elizabeth and Elizabeth as the writer and this is as the front person and the way that praise from uh, men and, and the male critics or, or just fans tends to be very double-edged in terms mm-hmm. of like, you know, uh, you're great. And now here are my series of condescending, you know, sort of suggestions for, you know, how you, and it's like, who are you? Yeah. I, I, you know, with what, and, and so I, there, there's something to me about Courtney Barnett that is giving voice to that, to the, those frustrations in a way that feels very, um, just it just feels very trenchant and 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 yeah it, it, i know she's she's a main line to a certain kind of frustration that um is um just incredibly interesting and and and, and incredibly well articulated yeah and i love that i mean she addresses that on the second record mm-hmm. uh with you know nameless faceless mm-hmm. yeah. you know just kind of anonymous comments from men criticizing her and you know and my my fiance is not really into alternative music or punk rock music but she hears a chorus you know like i want to walk through the park you know in the dark you know and you know men their biggest fear is that women will laugh at them and women are afraid of being murdered you know i have to walk with my keys you know clutch in my hand you know so you know she hears that and that that really speaks volumes to her to where she will agree like yeah i'll go to drive all the way to columbus ohio and, and go to this show you know and then that's the end of side one and the starting side two i'm not your mother i'm not your bitch mm-hmm. you know like it's really really great stuff you know and yeah uh, and that's to say that you know this this record's great but she has a great track record right now of, yeah yeah and i think those are great examples great too. examples and she's close to the bone with that stuff and and it takes it it Again, I mean, it takes extraordinary talent to be able to, you know, uh, tackle that stuff head on and make it, you know, uh, as as pointed and trenchant as it needs to be and also make it scan. It's just like, this is a great tune. Um, She's just a five-tool player. She's just really, really, really good, really talented. You said we should look out further. I guess it wouldn't hurt us We don't have to be around all these coffee shops Now we got that percolator Never made a latte greater I'm saving $23 a week We drive to a house in Preston 
pretty cheap, you say. Well, it's a deceased estate. Aren't the press metal ceilings great? Then I see the handrail in the shower, a collection of those canisters for coffee, tea, and flour, and a photo of a young man in a van in Vietnam. Anymore, whether the front room faces south or north, and I wonder what she bought it for. Well, let's go ahead and, and, and get into one of our favorite questions whenever we talk about any album, and let's take the time and do what are your five favorite tracks from the album? Huh, okay, so I, I think I. These don't have to be in order from five to one. We can just no, no. We we generally just do them in in order of how they appear on the album. Okay, so we're doing ours together. Okay, so elevator operator for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Pedestrian at best. Depressed in. Dead fox. That's a. I mean, you yeah. I I mean, these are all. That's side one. Yeah, I mean, side side one. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, like, for for your pick to click for five, I mean, you know, you could go Nobody Cares If You Don't Go To The Party, or or as I say, Kim's Caravan, I think, you know, is a bummer hang sometimes, but it's certainly... Uh, one that really speaks to to it. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'll. Mm. I'll what, what do you think? Mm, I think that's really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have a sixth man. You can do a top five in your sixth man. I, I, I think I, I I do think I would put Kim's Caravan. I think that's a very important track. I think it's, it really shows her, you know, stretching her legs. She's like, yeah, you've seen all the other stuff I can do, and I can do this too. Yeah. Uh, and, and 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 you will, you know, uh, and, and not only. And make it incredibly compelling. Um, I, I guess that would be my five, but yeah. you know, but it's a that's a hard one. And, and, and if and if you want, are are there some standout lyrics? Is 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 there are, are there some moments either in those songs or on the album in general where you're you're just especially uh, taken back by by her lyrics? Beth was saying yesterday, and I'll I'll I'll, 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 I'll tee you up on this because I don't have it down totally, but um the the uh sort of incredibly poignant gag in depressed i mean there that one is just i feel like one after the next where it, it sort of starts out you know where she's talking to her partner about like well we could, we could go out further and you know like you don't need to be near the coffee shops anymore and like you know i've got the got the percolator and then like the next like smash cut to i save 23 dollars a week now yeah. but then like they're like then they're talking about arresting you know the man in the street with his hand in a bag and that you know that kind of reminds me of like the gentrification in durham or literally anywhere where it's yeah. like we're gonna just take all of these you know uh nomadic mendicants and uh and move them away and and you know like and then you know, as the song progresses, it's kind of like they're with the real estate agent. She's like, oh, well, this woman died, but man, the ceilings are great. And then, you know, it, it just resolves to if you have a spare half a million, you could just tear it all down. And that's like gutting because it's like, yeah. first of all, we're, we're taking this woman's life. Her family is trying to move on, um, but it's got all these neat little touches of like this was somebody's space. This yeah. was somebody's home. This was where somebody built a life. And let's just 
you know, just mow it down with our money, uh, destroy it, build, you know, something, you know, not as charming and more hideous and, you know, get rid of all of the, you know, the homeless people and, 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 um, yeah. you know, and that, and like, but it's all, you know, it's, and it's, it's a very meditative, you know, I think she said it's two chords, you know, like, and it's got this really lovely solo and then it just kind of fades and, you know, it, we're just left with like it's a kind of question mark. And actually, I mean, that's really interesting. And, it, and if uh, it rhymes a little bit historically with, and obviously, you know, the same in our country, but, you know, the idea of the displacement of the, you know, indigenous, I'm sorry, the indigenous Australian people, mm-hmm. and then just, yeah, this, this, the, the history of, of money and power and commerce just tearing through, you know, worlds mm-hmm. and neighborhoods and, you know, and, and with, with, with a recklessness and uh, an absence of humanity. And it's like, like you know, it's, you know, really incredibly powerful writing. Yeah. No, I think it's the, for me, like maybe the best song on the album and maybe the best one song still she's written. I think that this I mean, is my favorite for sure. And probably the best song ever to be about um, house hunting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause every line is just like, there's no like, secret meaning it's about um corny burnett and and jen kohler uh her partner looking for a house in a suburb called preston uh that's depressing depressing and um yeah you know just great these great observations right of the photo of the young man in the van in vietnam and the handrail in the bathtubs is like okay this is a the house of a, a vet who was injured yeah, you know, presumably, like and a, yeah. the the joke, right? I mean, it's kind of a joke. Like, well, you know, also if you have a spare half a million, you can just knock it down. Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, these two, um, you know, uh, two like indie rock people. You know, this is all happening also like before her first record comes out. Also, before yeah. she becomes, you know, before she's playing SNL and everything, right? Yeah. They don't they don't have a spare half a million. These, Courtney yeah. <laughs> Burnett being a young millennial woman, like, yeah, in rock, you know aspiring rock star didn't have this money that's not gonna happen they're not getting the house you know like you know it's uh it's hard for you know so i'm i've been trying to find a house with you know my fiance my partner for a long time now it ain't happening yeah yeah you know so this is another one of those things where it's just like you know when i first started in 2015 i just loved it and now listening to a lot while being in that process you know even more you know so it's yeah I'm 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 all in on depressant. Mackay, what about you? What are your five? Very similar. Um, elevator operator for all the reasons we talked about. Um, one thing I'll add about elevator operator is I went to go see Obama speak during the 2016 election. Like I think it was Sunday, and the election was Tuesday, and um, I drove there with um the corny burnett tape in the car and they were playing elevator operator before uh president obama came on i was just like well whoever's running this uh they definitely get the yeah. crowd <laughs> um and then stevie wonder came on and then uh stevie opened for barack obama and it was uh, the last time i was proud to be an american for like a long <laughs> time because that was just like a, and we were on a baseball field yeah. So on a baseball field, Tony yeah. Burnett's playing. Here comes Barack Obama. Stevie Wonder's there. Like, you know, a great time. So elevator operator, 
apart from being a great song has like a pretty great moment for me um also so there to stay and uh, the former, former president of course does you know every every year does his kind of um or, or sometimes he'll do it for the summer as well but he every year he does kind of like his songs of the year and his books of the year and mm-hmm. he has he has referenced a courtney barnett song in his songs of the year at least three times that's yeah he has better taste than i do i like it's he's insane uh love you know nothing but love for barry watermarks on the ceiling i can see jesus and he's frowning at me I see a dead seal on the beach The old man says he's already saved it three times this week Guess it just wants to die I would want to die too With people putting oil into my air But to be fair I've done my share Guess everybody's got their different point of view I was walking down Sunset Strip, Phillip Island, not Los Angeles. Got me some hot chips and a cool drink, took a sandy seat on the shore. There's a paper on the ground, it makes my headache quite profound as I read it out aloud. It said the Great Barrier Reef, it ain't so great anymore It's been raped beyond belief, the dredges treat her like a whore I drank till I was sinking, sank till I was thinking That I'm thankful for this view Drank till I was sinking, sank till I was thinking That I'm thankful for this view we are the things that we're invincible Or that we are invisible Realistically, we're somewhere in between We all think that we are nobody But everybody is somebody else's somebody so, uh, Pedestrian at best, obviously And just the way those two flow into each other also yeah. You know, this this is a record made with great intention you know and then the follow-up song just like you know is this one as pedestrian best fades out the next one just pop right on the snare drum begins and you're like wow this thing is flown this thing has momentum especially on that side one um so pedestrian at best put me on a pedestal right i think it's a great statement just like about being a woman in general, you know, men put women on a pedestal in romantic ways and in, in all these different kinds of ways of looking at them as, you know, like the, the Madonna and the whore kind of thing. Uh, so I think that, and of course, obviously it has to do with her position as this like aspiring, uh, you know, rock star, you know, so I think that that song uh, comments on a lot of things at one time in a way that's, that's very interesting. Um, and then for me, uh, Small Poppies, you know, and I love that it's the, you know, I used to hate myself, but now, you know, I think I'm all right, which is not like the Lizzo thing of just like, and now I'm a bad bitch. You know, it's just like, it's just like a little bit better. Like I used to hate myself, but now I think I'm just all right, which is 
that's a huge improvement. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have to be like the self-love self-care kind of thing. It's just, you just need to get a little bit better every time. You know what I mean? And I, I love that about it. It's, it's, um, you know, kind of the anti-pop sentiment, um, but something that's way more poignant and, and personal and uh, very, also very clever, of course. Um, and the way that it works is very catchy and it stands out very well in the song. It's just a great vocal performance, great guitar performance. Um, the band is incredible on that track in particular. Uh, so that's another one for me. Um, to Preston, which we just talked about, a perfect song um, and a perfect uh, side one closer. And then uh, for me, uh, Dead Fox, which is another just... I also love when people will um, shout out other people in a song, like it starts off with, you know, mentioning Jen, her partner, which I, I always like, like that kind of winky kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's just a, that, and that's one song that when I heard it for the first time, I was like, yes, this is, this is a 2015 album. This is for my generation. And of course it's all universal themes and she's not the first person to talk about the environment ever, but it, you know, it's something, the sentiments about it seem to be very, current and and fun and funny and talking about you know more people uh die on the road than in the water so why are people killing sharks you know it's just like yeah why are you know why are, we are fascinated with shark week and all that kind of you know like yeah that is baloney you know i i love all that stuff you know and my sixth man would be kim's caravan which is um a great way to you know penultimate song for the record for me i mean <sighs> I I could probably just say the side A, yeah, of this album, because um, because you know I think we've all mentioned elevator operator pedestrian at best um, and depressed and and you know Mikai you mentioned small poppies, I, I think an illustration of loneliness is a great song as well, mm -hmm. um, but no, for me I think it's going to be elevator operator pedestrian at best. I'm going to say small poppies. I love depressed and I think it's a great song. Um, but I, I want to mention Kim's caravan because I, I think, and again, and I, I, you know, I think Tim may mention this, that it, it can be a, it can be a heavy song. Um, it can be, a, you know, it's, it can be a lot, um, especially on, on side B of this album, but there's, there's something so beautiful. My, probably my favorite lyric from the album comes from Kim's caravan. Uh, I drank till I was thinking, I sank till I was thinking that I'm thankful for this view. We either think that we're invincible or that we are invisible when realistically we're somewhere in between. We all think we're nobody, but everybody is somebody else's somebody. I mean, that, that's like that's again, that, someone's that, first record. That is bonkers. Yeah. I mean, like the, the idea that you could put something that, you know, again, is what, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but something that vulnerable that, you know, you are, you're, you're, you're doing these songs with these beautiful, you know, beautiful stories, these, these, these incredibly written short stories. And then you have something that transparent, that vulnerable um, is, is beautiful. But also to have something that verbose and that wordy 
mm-hmm. come out so beautifully. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, but speaking of, of, you know, kind of her, her, her verbosity, you know, pedestrian at best, that's the, yeah. you know, we, I, I was, you know, Elizabeth, we were talking, you know, making the point earlier that there's, there's the part of me sometimes when I listen to, when I listen to paranoid style, when I, when I listen to your records and, and then I kind of connect a little bit with Courtney Barnett. It's the style of Courtney Barnett that you hear in pedestrian at best mm-hmm. is, is that very similar thing of like <laughs> almost, and I, and this is the greatest compliment. I, it's one of the things I love about your music, but lyrically the, the kind of like almost doctoral thesis of lyrics that are, <laughs> that are, that are presented and and I and I love it like you for for all the paranoid style albums. I feel like I have to go back and listen to a song four or five times, uh-huh. and each time like there's new stuff I catch because just because of how fast you're you're going through all of it. And that's one of you know again that's one of my favorite things about it. But that's what I hear in pedestrian at best is you know I've heard that song you know, 40, 50 times. And every time I hear it, there's another turn of phrase that I hadn't quite picked up on before, just because of how quickly she's going through all of it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's incredible. I know. I love, I love when she's just going through the litany of all the things that she are and it like comes up to like, I'm homely. I'm a Scorpio. Like <laughs> It's just very, very funny. Like, um, and then like, just like one other sort of, uh, I mean, the profundity of that lyric in Kin's Caravan is so beautiful, but I will say like one of the more aspirational things that she does, she's got this beautiful little ability to do these internal rhyme schemes. And I was um, on, on dead Fox. I love the way that she kind of like starts out with her ambivalence. And she says, um, Jen insists that we buy organic vegetables. And I must admit, I'm a little skeptical, uh, <laughs> you know, at first a little pesticide can't hurt i mean the way that she's kind of drawing these little rhymes in between while she's just saying like oh, you know they're more expensive they're mm-hmm. nicotine the apples like i just i love i mean like she's she's so masterful also at just writing an efficient lyric but it's just like chock full of these neat little rhymes um that's that's really hard to do and i i think that she uh she really distinguished herself in, in dead fox um in addition to it being like sort of an environmental message or a war message, like you said. So I don't know. You, you mentioned talking about kind of, you know, really, you know, having this ability to do these kind of internal rhymes, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about, you know, for all of the different styles of music we hear in her influence, I wonder as well, if we're hearing in the way she's writing those internal rhymes, I wonder if we're hearing a little bit of a hip hop influence in there as well. Cause it's one of the things we think about with someone like Andre 3000 or, um, you know, MF doom, like the, that, that ability to, you know, pile on all of these internal rhyme schemes and you're right. She does it. I mean, masterfully at so many points in this album. Well, I, we know that her favorite album, because Pitchfork did a thing where they asked a bunch of artists their favorite album of the last 25 years, or right, because that was the Pitchfork anniversary. And she said that the Solange Knowles uh, record, um, that was, she was like, yeah, far and away, this is like my favorite record of the last 25 years. You know, so we, we know that she has some sort of affinity um, for, for R&B and hip-hop music as well. So you're probably not far off, Robin, saying that. And I, and I, going back to pedestrian best i love that th- this writer who's like 
writing manically, maybe kind of singing, ma- singing manically. It's just like, I got to get all the stuff out before the chorus drops. Just like, um, uh, overworked and oversexed. I'm disinterested in woman Freud. You know, just like, I, I love that, that, that energy and that chaos. And it's just like, I got a lot on my mind, so y'all need to buckle up. <laughs> I love that. close with with uh, um this question and then we want you to tell us about the new paranoid style album this is a seven-year-old album is it too soon for us to be talking about this album in the context of all-time great albums or or is there such thing as a too soon what i mean how, how do you take that what is the test of time that an album needs to go through in order to be considered an all-time great so if this was like a sports hall of fame, um, you know, the athlete would have to have retired uh, to be considered for hall of fame eligibility. At least uh, I think that's the case in the baseball and the football hall of fame. But anyway, uh, so uh, she's obviously not retired and she's still um, a rising star in my opinion. Um, I definitely think like, and this is, this is interesting. And I think we talked about this in a previous episode. It's always really hard when you're doing lists and ranking things like when an act puts out a new record and they've got say, you know, 20 records in their catalog or whatever, like think about like, you know, super chunk who's still putting out records, you know, like, and like they're consistently good in my opinion, you know, Um, And so when they put out a new record, you know, it's like, it's really hard to rank it because you don't know how you're going to feel about it. Like two years from now or or four years from now, like how it's going to hold up against, you know, some of the more classic ones. So um, it it is, it is definitely like, if you're, if you're really seriously thinking about it qualitatively and quantitatively, like, you know, um, I definitely think you could consider it a success quantitatively because it sold a billion copies and uh you know she was nominated for a grammy she was named the uh what is it the APRA uh the the Australian yeah the APRA yeah okay so she you know she she has the metrics to have it be an all-time you know hall of fame record um my opinion is yes i think it's in the conversation i i think you know what what we could say five years but i i would have told you two years ago uh you know or two years after it came out that this, this is a classic record. And I think for all of the reasons that we've discussed for the past couple hours, like it has all of the hallmarks of it. It sounds, it still sounds contemporary, like you said, but it also sounds timeless. Um, the themes are universal. You know, she's not, this is not her Donald Trump record or whatever. You know, it's not like referencing like, oh, he's got, you know, stupid hair and a dumb tie. and You know, he fucking sucks. Like it's, you know, like the, the environmental themes will carry through, unfortunately, probably until the seas rise and, 
consume us all. So I, I personally would say it can be in the conversation. I think seven years is a, a perfectly uh, cromulent amount of time. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear how you guys maybe would think about, you know, measuring this in terms of, of classic records. I mean, for me, but again, I, I'm younger, right? I, I could have gone to high school with Courtney Barnett, you know? So I, I put this above things like Slanted and Enchanted or Last Splash or, you know, any even the Nirvana stuff, which goes like grunge doesn't mean anything to me. You know, someone who was born in 1990, you know? So for me, like this, this is the equivalent to that, you know? And I, and I do think of this record as being, you know that good and i feel that same way about things from like waxahachie and and big thief as well i think there's a really great a lot of really great rock records coming out that are in that conversation um but if anyone's gonna ding us on the podcast for this list we're constructing right we haven't talked about pavement yet on the podcast and we haven't talked about pixies or the breeders you know so people might be like hey it might be too soon to get Courtney barnett when you haven't even talked about you know, kind of these precedents. Um, and I'm, I'm fine with that. Cause I, I, I like that we are in this season putting our flag where I'd be like to pimp a butterfly. One of the greats. Sometimes I sit and think one of the greats um, we're going to, I'm going to make the case for a new Fiona Apple record for fetch the bolt cutters. You know, I, I like that we're starting to do that instead of just be like, all right, let's, let's, let's see, uh, get the Rolodex of classic rock, you know, records out there, not, you know, classic, but because lately we know we're coming off of Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin right now. So it feels very exciting to be like, put Courtney Barnett in the middle of our Jimi Hendrix and Beach Boys episodes, you know, and put her side by side with these artists. And I, I think she belongs there and maybe that's, you know, naive, um, but I'm only, I've only been more convinced um, by talking through this record with y'all that she's an all-time great songwriter um, and, and musician and that this record is, is very exceptional. And I think it was one of the top 10 of the last decade. Um, so us making a list of 100 records and only doing one album per artist, um, I think it's, it's, it's well-deserved. Yeah, I agree. And, and for me, I think the idea that Courtney Barnett, this album is going to sit between Are You Experienced and Pet Sounds is, is, I think, telling. Because I do think anytime you're talking about great albums or anytime you're talking about making a list around great albums, there is this tendency to bias towards what are kind of the canonically accepted like all-time great albums and and then i think there's also i think there's two kind of trends one is to like the canonically accepted list and then there's also like recency bias but but i think that this kind of seven year window is is enough for us to kind of go all right this there there's longevity here this this has staying power it holds up she's also not done so i don't have any problem two years from now going back and be like we were wrong Courtney Barnett deserves an album on the list. She just hadn't released this album yet. I mean, so, so I mean, that's one of the things I am excited about is the idea that she's not even 40 yet. Like this is someone who's got a long career ahead of her and does, doesn't show signs of slowing down anytime soon. And that just makes me excited. 
it, it makes me excited about music and excited about new music in, and especially for us who spend so much time with like quote unquote classic albums and in these kind of all time great albums. I think it can give you this sense, you know, this kind of like baby boomer sense of like, oh, music isn't as good as it was in my day and and be able to go, no, no, like there's great music being made right now that isn't just speaking to the moment. It is speaking to the moment, but it is also, it's also showing up in that way where it immediately comes across as timeless. And so I, I love that about this album. And so I couldn't agree more. Elizabeth, since the last time you and Tim were with us to talk about the best albums of 1971, your band, The Paranoid Style, has finished the studio work on a forthcoming album. What can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new record coming out on the Barnon Records label. It's called For Executive Meeting. Uh, it is 11 original songs and one cover. Um, and I think it's about 34 minutes long. Uh, so it fits nicely on a uh, 45 RPM uh, LP. Um, we are we have opened uh, the store for pre-orders at this point, I think. Uh, this is what I have been told. So uh, if you go to our band camp, you can pre-order your vinyl copy. Um, there are a couple of singles up there that you can preview. Um, and we are planning on rolling out um, some other singles soon. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun record. We recorded it in Durham, North Carolina. Um, with an incredibly talented crew of musicians. Um, and, uh, you know, I hesitate to use the word masterpiece because, <laughs> you know, we've been sort of talking about what makes a record canonical and, and but I, I can't not use it also to describe this record. So, um, you know, I, I would encourage anybody who likes Courtney Barnett um, to go check it out. And uh, I, I think you'll find a little bit of similarity in terms of the guitar work um, and, uh, and and even our previous records, too. I mean, she's been a very inspirational force uh, for me, definitely aspirational. Um, we, you know, I actually had, you know, a record come out around the same time. It wasn't as successful, but she's always been very inspiring to me and I, I do take cues from her. So, um, it, yeah, it, I mean, you know, R.I.Y.L., Courtney Barnett. Um, Yes. So go check out our band camp. And, and if you if you like what you hear or if you're already a fan, then you can go pre-order a copy. And um, yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, 
so thanks for letting me, uh, you know, shove this particular piece of commerce on you guys. Uh, I think, I think that the world will be a better place for it. Well, and, and I will say for our listeners, um, you know, as Liz was saying, I, I had an opportunity to see that a kind of stripped down version of the band uh, perform as a three piece here in Durham um, about a month ago. And they, they did perform, I believe two new songs, two songs off the fourth, off the forthcoming album. And uh, if they are any indication for what this album is like, it is going to be really exciting. And you want to get your hands on this album as soon as you can. Elizabeth, we always love having you and Tim with us. We want to thank you for being with us. Always good to spend time with you. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks guys. It's so fun to see you guys and hope to see you soon. And thank you again for inviting us to do this. No worries. Have a good one. Well, Rob, typically at this point, we ask the question, does this belong on our list? And, um, you know, and asking, is it too soon to put it on our list? I think we all pretty decided unanimously that this is an all-time great record. And seven years have passed, and it holds up extraordinarily well. And it seems to be pretty influential, if not directly. You know, when I was talking about Courtney Barnett being you know, kind of the template for the new rock star. Um, I, I really believe that. Um, and I, and it's not something I can really prove and maybe we won't be able to for a long time, but I think that she is, um, really important to, to rock music, um, of the last almost 10 years since her first, you know, couple EPs came out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just, I see her as this really important figure and, someone who, you know, is, is not stopping anytime soon. It looks like, you know, and I, I really have, I I can say with full confidence, I think this belongs on our list. And I said it earlier, but you know, I, I put this above something like last splash by the breeders, you know, like, and, and, and I don't think that she exists without kind of the influence of bands like that. You know, she's even had them come on and sing, background vocals on you know the, the record that follows this um but yeah uh and, and that's because you know i i'm a, i'm around the same age as her so there's there's that influence as well i i acknowledge all of this but this is kind of what i want our list to be i i want it to kind of challenge these things like well no i that's a classic album too and that's a great album to put on another list, but for you and I, you know, this is the right pick. This is a great pick. And I, I have no regrets for as phenomenal an album as this is this Courtney Barnett record, which had been out for five years when the most recent iteration of the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums list came out is not mentioned at all. Like not, not number 500, not number 50, not on the list at all. Mikhail, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, that, that omission is, I mean, a big reason for us doing the podcast is that you, you've been sitting, we've been sitting with this record for five years and thinking like, this is incredible. This is amazing. This is one of these like class, like instant classic. There's no way this isn't on like an updated list or something. 
And then the list comes out and it's nowhere. It's not in the last set of 100 and the last set of 50. I mean, it's nowhere, but neither are albums from the national who at that point had come out with three, four phenomenal records and nothing from big thief, nothing from uh, Sufjan Stevens, you know, a lot of these kind of artists who in the last, you know, for the 21st century, people have been like, these are the best, you know, um, Funeral by Arcade Fire was number 500 and they swapped the first Vampire Weekend with the third one and Boney Veras for Emma Forever Ago ended up on there. So there's that. But that's given the the decade that we have or the last 15 years that we've had of great indie music and, and indie rock music, you know, it, it was pretty shocking to see that, you know, nothing against these albums, but like, the Harry Styles album that came out only the year before. I mean, one that that's very soon. And so something that came out that recently without albums from the last five, 10, 15 years that are, have become pretty canonical for music lovers. Um, seeing the, that stuff missing was, was wild. Um, Chief among them, you know, or one of them is, uh, is this record in particular. And so that's why I'm glad that for, for our list and for what we're doing, you know, hopefully we can get that conversation going for other list makers out there, you know, like, Hey, don't forget this one. When you're going to make your canons of great rock music, this is what, this is how these lists are, how people find these records. And a lot of great ones get lost. A lot of, you know, unfamiliar records ended up on the Rolling Stone 500, like that Sparks record. You know, that's that's one that not a lot of people know about. That's awesome that that's on there. You know, but there's um a lot of missed opportunities still on those I mean, for 500 albums. And you know what I mean? Like 500? And you missed you missed this one? I mean, that that's that's wild. I can't help loving this album as much as I do. I can't help but want as many people as possible to hear it. And so listener, if that's you, if you've never heard this album by Courtney Barnett, if nothing else, I hope that this episode has encouraged you to go and check out this artist because she is really something and we could not recommend her enough. If you know her already, let us know. Did we get the right pick? Should it, should it have been one of her more recent albums? Is, is there another Courtney Barnett album that should have been considered for this list let us know reach out to us on twitter at you forgot one pod on instagram at you forgot one of course our website is you forgot one.com and we look forward to hearing from you micaiah we're going to let our listeners go what song from the album should we leave them with how about the preston perfect we'll see you next week 